This episode of All the President's Minutes is brought to you by Bella Catering. Bellacatering.com.au is where you can find Sydney's best catering company. And now they're doing home delivery. Um, check out what they've got. Get to it fast, Sydney. Victoria has already shut down, which is good. <laughs> they're acting like idiots down in Victoria, but we are no less idiots here in New South Wales. So, my dear friends and listeners and folks, you, of course, have come across folks who are not doing the right thing with COVID-19. You need to contact Bella Catering while you can. Get the people to your house now that you want to visit. Check their temperature before they get in the door. Make sure that they're hand sanitized. Feed them with some delicious Bella Catering food. Bellacatering.com.au. They are responsible for the show. This week, we must thank them. We must love Glenn and Maria and thank their team and everything they do. Now, let's get on to the show. There was good in him. Uh, he had been a, a, a good vice president, but he, he was a fatally flawed man and a fatally flawed president. Richard Nixon, a guy who had been a hero to millions of Americans. Here's a guy who received more votes than anybody else in the history of this country. But the Richard Nixon that they supported through the years was not the Richard Nixon that they thought they knew. To think that we're the only generation that had that experience is probably the mistake that a lot of generations make. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Joining me today, it's exciting. Uh, we've only had one other person who's actually been in the mix of the political machine internationally so far in the show. I'm super excited to talk about people who are currently in the mix. And I think it's even more interesting for our international listeners when we get to talk about it from a local perspective, which excites me the most. I have a former journalist uh, at Sydney Morning Herald and The Age and the Australian Associated Press who crossed the line after being a foreign correspondent in Indonesia, and he's now press secretary for the Shadow Minister for Industrial Relations, it's Tony Burke. And I have it on good authority that he continues to be on the lam from a theft of an All the President's Men DVD from Bathurst Video Easy circa 2003. His confession is here, but I think uh, the statute of limitations is far gone. 17 years for a non-return DVD from Bathurst Video Easy is far gone. It's my pleasure to welcome... Adam Gartrell to the show. Adam, thanks so much for being a part of the show, mate. My pleasure, Blake. So here we are. So cool to talk to you. Um, is it a weird thing for someone who has been a journalist and and your beat was, you know, covering, you know, being in the depths of Canberra, which is Australia's sort of equivalent, you know, the ACT is Australia's equivalent to DC. Um, is, it, is it a strange thing to sort of cross the aisle, as it were, from journalism to politics um, and, and kind of what, you know, if this was your movie, um, the movie of journal, journalists doggedly you know, holding politics to account, um, you know, what is it like to now cross the aisle and go into something and be passionate and be like, all right, well, I'm, I'm actually going to follow my passion here and I'm going to go into politics and I'm going to see if I can affect change. Like, what what is the journey for that? Um, so I guess, you know, I mean, I was um, and remain passionate about journalism. You know, I remain passionate about the idea of the fourth estate and, and holding the powerful to account. I think I always will. Um, there are a range of reasons that I that I 
sort of, you know, cross the aisle as it were, you know, some professional, some personal. And, you know, I guess you're talking about the professional reasons. Um, it's not just that, yes, I was, you know, drawn to sort of the progressive side of politics, but um, the media in Australia isn't doing so great. You know, in my last, <laughs> in my last five years in journalism, I went through four redundancy rounds at AAP and then at Fairfax. So it was just this existential constant threat of, you know, the sort of the sort of Damocles hanging over you. Um, so uh, I kind of got a bit tired of that. Um, I can imagine. Yeah. And it's still, so, and it's, and it's still happening. You know, it's still I, happening. I, I, think, I think you yeah. on the other side are seeing it up close and personal as well with just, you know, different media organisations, you know, our current, you know, government is scrutinising our, our, our um its own broadcaster, you know, uh, mm, um, mm, based mm. on external political influences, is you know, scrutinising yep. its own broadcaster and saying, should this, you know, should this operate as a private thing? Should we even do this anymore? Um, so funny what, so funny when uh, the things that hang over from our commonwealthness um, uh, just happen to be in competition with uh, yeah, uh, right. uh, other things. But yeah, no, it's it's you know, it's something that, and especially in Australia. Since November, with everything that happened with the bushfires and how critical, like, Johnny-on-the-spot journalism was to actually help save lives, direct people to safety, all those sorts of things. And then particularly with COVID-19, just the consumption. Because the numbers, you know, the numbers, even from a culture perspective, are still huge. Like, websites are still getting read and in sometimes in, in sometimes in greater number in certain sites, but it's then about like the advertising dollar that sometimes funds those people are like, well, we have no money to advertise because our businesses have been crippled by COVID-19. So it's like this weird thing of like, well, you've set it up, you've set it up on this base where people, you know, uh, where you're not offsetting with subscribers or there's different business models. And it's that whole thing of like, does our population support it completely? All that, all that jazz. So it's this weird thing and it's still happening and it's happening in a national broadcaster and it's happening all over the place at the moment. Yeah. And look, you know, COVID-19 has kind of accelerated a lot of those things that were underway. Things that might've taken four or five years have happened in six months. Yes. Um, but now I'm in a position, you know, when I first joined the, the Canberra press gallery, I think it was 2007, and I thought to myself, you know, I would never go and be a political staffer because it's so insecure. It's like if your MP falls over in a scandal or a sack from the front bench or whatever, then you're out of a job, right? So you're at the mercy of this personality. Um, in the 10 years or so subsequent, that paradigm has completely flipped. You know, now I would look at journalism and go, I just, I don't know if I could go back to that constant threat of the axe and political staffing kind of seems quite secure by comparison. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's, well, you know, I, I think that that's a fun way to enter this movie because, you know, this movie between now and then is like, it's chalk and cheese, you know, like Mm. people, people who were political staffers at the time were absolutely at the time in America in you know, 72 to 74 that the, the, that this film charts, you know, would have absolutely said the same thing. It's very safe to be in a paper and, and in a big city paper and in a big city that has got such an international footprint around all of our, you know, diplomacy that has to happen everywhere. That's a safe town to be in a paper. Yeah. Because you're always, you're going to be a metro person. You're going to be in the press gallery for politics. You're going to have, you know, whatever the case may be, you might be on international, but it's going to be important. You're going to be at the coalface and you're going to be very secure for a very long time. I spoke to a guy yeah. by the name of Craig Lindsay, um, an American journalist, and he said that he was heading into Houston just as he was starting out as a journalist. And 
there were two papers. I think there was like a post there, like a Houston Post and a Houston Chronicle. I'm probably getting the names wrong. Um, but he said he literally started at the Chronicle and that week, the second paper in that town, the huge paper went under. Mm-hmm. And he was like, whoa, like this was like competition thriving. Also. And as soon as one goes down, it's like, oh, well, this whole profession maybe is like, is, is kind of questionable from here on out. Yeah, yeah. And that's right. You know, in um, in the movie, Bob Woodward's been there, what, eight or nine months? Nine and months. They, they say that, yeah. uh, you know, nine months, right? Yeah. And, you know, back in those days, that was the start of a long, you know, decade-long career when he's, you know, would be totally secure. Yes. Um, yeah, it's just not, not the way anymore, sadly. So let's talk a little bit about this movie. Let's talk a little mm. bit about, um, let's talk a little bit about taking you back to your, I guess, um, boots on the ground experiences. And then I, I'd love to, because it's so cool to talk to, again, a foreign correspondent who's working in a, in a country that has like deep ties to Australia. And then there's questionable sort of diplomatic challenges of all those sorts mm. of things that were in that coverage. So uh, uh, we might, we might dive into the minute cause I think it might shake up a few things for us to talk about. This is the 69th sure. minute. Lucky you. The 69th, yeah, nice. minute, 69th minute <laughs> of Alan J. Pakula's 1976, uh, Alan J. and Robert Redford's 1976 masterpiece, all the president's men. Um, we are with Woodstein. They are on the front foot with the, thank you very much to Kay Eddie, a, a printout of every single employee of Crete, which is the committee to re-elect the president, and are basically ascertaining who these people are, where they live, and sort of door knocking and hoping that someone's morality will compel them to sort of paint the picture of some of the really nasty and weird stuff that is going on behind closed doors in the committee to re-elect the president. And so it's such a fun and uh, I think this is Manny Faber called it termite art. This is my favorite thing. I love doors in a movie. When I watch doors being slammed in faces, I just want to say, this is one of the things that inspires me to do this show because it feels like you have to be equipped to have the doors slammed in your face to be successful really at anything. So I just love uh, the, the, the experience of it. So Adam and I are going to watch it now together. You guys are going to listen along and then we're going to come back and talk about it. From the Washington post. Ammons, Irene Ammons, Luis here. Abbott, Addis, Augusto, Albers. Something that strikes you as odd about this. What? It's almost like there's a pattern to the way they're not talking, the way they're saying no all the time. I think it's odd. Mrs. Hamblin? Yes. I. We're uh, from the Washington Post. I'm Carl Bernstein. This is Bob Woodward. A friend of the committee said that we could contact you. Who was it? We can't reveal that. You can talk to us. We don't reveal our sources. You people. You think you can come into my home, ask a few questions, have me destroy the reputations of men that I work for and respect? Do you understand loyalty? Have you ever heard of loyalty? Hi. Hi. Yes. Have you ever heard of loyalty, Adam? <laughs> I have. It's a big thing. <laughs> it's yes. a, it is the thing. It is the thing. Mm. Such a great little minute. Uh, in a movie also, just for everyone, David Shire's score is incredible um, and uh, pertinent to another project that's coming up on One Heat Minute Productions, the Zodiac Chronicle. David Shire also scored Zodiac. He's an incredible incredible composer and this is one of those times in the movie where the score makes 
you aware of it because so much of the movie sort of digs into this like very like uh, authenticity aesthetic and soundscape. So you're just hearing, you know, the incidental sounds of newsrooms or cars driving or like ambient noise in a McDonald's or whatever the case may be, or the planes flying over the Q hotel in Washington. But here it's like getting you into this sort of like lulling jazz of I'm now going to have every door slammed in my face. And it's like the door slamming becomes the percussion to the music. It's a really great scene. And then it comes on to these guys trying to get information out of people who are unwilling to talk. How much of your journalistic career was that? (laughs) Does that Uh, that hurt? Is there pangs of familiarity right there? Yeah, so I mean, I mean, that's like the perfect minute of kind of gumshoe journalism, right? Walking up to the stoop and, and knocking on doors, and you can just see their kind of forlorn expressions. <laughs> and you know, we only see it for a minute, but they've obviously been doing this for days. Um, and look, it's um, that kind of is more reminiscent for me of like the days when I was reporting crime yeah. and stuff. And you go to a crime scene, and you'd have to knock on all the neighbors' doors and try and find witnesses to talk about what had happened or the victim. You know, did they know the victim? All that sort of stuff. And, you know, that was just, I hated that. It was, it was I sometimes cool. questioned, I questioned my, you know, commitment to my, my craft and to my profession at times like that. I just hated it. Um, you know, kind of known as the death knock. Um, whereas on, in political journalism, which I guess I did for about 10 years, it's much more phones getting slammed yes. and phones getting hung up on you. <laughs> um, you know, you're not so much knocking on the doors because you're sitting at your desk and you're, you're going through your, uh, through your contacts and just trying to call as many people as possible. But, um, yeah, the, the same principle of people just not wanting to talk. Um, and, you know, you have to kind of try and penetrate through all those loyalties that, that they've got, um, whether it's as themselves the and their own. As the recipient, right? So it's not only political allegiance but the loyalty to individuals. I think that's what I love yeah, that's right. about this minute is, so much of this entire film and I think what's so important about it and why people find it a bit of a balm is that people get to, or the real heroism of this is people overcoming, you know, their interpersonal connections and relationships sometimes, or their political allegiances to have like a more, to have a moral moment and say, mm. was I witness to something that was inherently wrong? And if that is the case, then how do I spill the beans on that? Um, yeah. and, and, and what's cool in this minute is just the quandary. Like, this is my life. This <laughs> this is my life. These are other people's lives. The The stakes are larger. I think sometimes the stakes can be, like, put into perspective when you're, like, talking on an individual level. This is my life. This is my job. These are people I work mm. with. You know, me me ratting on them in my mind right now is just not something that I'm willing to do. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it is that kind of, um, I think you mentioned it in the intro to the, to the minute, is, like, loyalty versus morality, right? Like, where is that line? Where does your responsibility to your to your colleagues and to your party end? Yes. And a greater imperative, whether it be country or, or just, you know, right from wrong, when does that take over? Yes. And now on the other, now on the other side of the line, now on the other side of the bench, it is, it is that like that constant battle, the diplomacy of compromise. I think that that's what this, mm. maybe that's the whole bomb is like that back then, the most egregious thing you could do was attempt to spy on a political, you know, this, this is, this is the most egregious thing in the 20th cent in, in the 20th century politics was attempting to spy and, and, uh, disrupt the political campaign of another, of another party. And 
on the stages of the Amer- and uh, stages of the Australian and the stages of the American political uh, uh, political tussles that have happened over the last decade. That's just outward. You do that in a debate. You do it in an mm. ad. Mm. You do it in. Mm. You do it on the. T- yeah. You do it on the morning magazine shows that don't deserve a mention. Um, it's it's like it's that disruption is just happening like there. Like you just do, it's it's on the front lines. There's none of this. There's no uh, espionage. It's just like mm. you just say mm. the bad thing to disrupt them, right in front of them. So it's a it's it's a kind of a, a strange thought to happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I have some faith that if a scandal like Watergate took place in Australia and was exposed, then people would still be held accountable. Yeah. If it was happening in the US now, I think they would have, the circus would have moved on 48 hours later and <laughs> no one would be held accountable. It's just, you know. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, you know, we've, I think one of the, you know, it's a, it's thankfully hasn't been touched yet in the sort of cuts to the national broadcaster, the uh, ABC in Australia, but like the Four Corners media program, like in its lit, in its, its long history. And I think of like the, the, the weirdness of there's a, a Queensland premier um, for American listeners. There's like a governor named Joe Bjorki Peterson doing s- what some of the strangest stuff. So I think you can even find the clips on YouTube and stuff like that. So the strangest governing policies you've ever seen. And like, you know, Four Corners did the, the massive expose, which like basically torpedoed his entire government. Like this is weird. It's bad. There's like corruption. There's all this. And it's like, I just think of those sorts of examples in Australian politics where like, yes, people can get disrupted. People can get moved on, but it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's, I don't think Australian politics is as brazen, but there's a bit of a passive aggression. And I think you would know what that is like. It's like, I don't think anyone's as brazen to do that crazy stuff. And whenever you find out about corruption, whether it's on both sides of the aisle, it seems to be held in check and, you know, gets the necessary media attention. And usually there's the the shame at least involved to retire or to, to move on. But, um, but yeah, there's still, there's still a, a fair amount of, um, I think there's just this like, the, the best and worst thing about our relationship with America, because we're so uh, infiltrated by its culture, is that we can go, oh, we're not as that, we're not quite as bad as that for some things. And we're yep. like, no, we are, for yep. that thing, we're actually really bad. The other thing, I yep. kind of agree with you. Yeah, we're not as bad or like gun control. We do that great. We do that great. Yep. There was one shooting. John Howard, the most conservative, one of the most, the fa- most famous conservative prime minister in this country ever, just like went, see ya, guns, bye basically overnight in the country hasn't been a mass shooting in the country ever since. Um, yeah. so yeah, like there's definitely those arguments, but and then there's others. Like, mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are, you know, there are some in the Australian body politic who would love to see us go down that Trumpism path, that populist yes. path. Right. And they're being held, you know, at the fringes for now, but a lot of the things they say are slowly getting mainstreamed and, um, um, a lot of the space, you know, the condemnation that used to come from some of their comments. Now it's like, well, let's have a discussion about it. Let's have a debate about it. And it's like, yeah, okay. Um, you're just giving a platform to this, you know, to the same kind of populism. And look, I don't think it'll happen in any sort of sudden, sudden way that we'll have some sort of right wing populist slipped into power the way Trump was. But um, it is there, and, and politicians recognise that there are similar undercurrents that they can exploit. Yes. Um, and some of them will attempt to. And, you know, um, 
going back to Queensland. That often seems to start in Queensland. (laughs) So for anyone who's listening, because Adam and I will be talking probably a week or so before you actually hear this episode, there's an Australian, uh, uh, one of our commercial broadcasters, Channel 9 um, in Australia, has a uh, one of their flagship morning shows, the Today Show, has been for, I want to say, at least since 1996, has been giving profile to an extremely right-wing, flat-out, racist senator um in a variety of perspectives she was a senator and then she was a disgraced senator and then i think they put her on a dancing with the stars on one of our other commercial networks and then she came back into the senate um by the name of pauline hansen they put her on their show for like and they literally got her as a talking head for the most controversial subjects for i'm not kidding like that's 23 years count them 23 years that they've kept this person in the public eye saying deplorable racist shit on the biggest platform in our country like one of the biggest platforms in our country and then they get her on to say that stuff and right now in this particular political moment people are insanely sensitive about that because of you know just you know whether it's this quarantine whether it's a lockdown whether it's just the moment in history that we're at people are like that's enough like we don't need to hear from this person anymore and they go oh sorry she won't come in our network anymore and it's like mate you don't need to just apologize for that appearance you need to apologize for 23 years of giving that yeah. person that profile because they would not even be a political entity had you not continued to give them a profile when they weren't a political entity and it's like you it there was a hilarious one and even a more jokey one which is like um the guy who's been playing cleveland this is like the super woke version of it at the moment which is just ridiculous the guy's been playing cleveland in the family guy in the united states is like i'm not going to play it i'm going to give it to an african-american man and in his sentence he's like at the end of the sentence like i've played cleveland for 23 years <laughs> like mate you don't need to say sorry for like playing the role you're rich fox have been paying you for 23 years you've got like eight houses yeah, you know, you don't need to say sorry for like one year or two. It's like twenty three years. It's like Hank Azaria, the same thing. It's like, oh no, an Indian person should pay, play a poo. Man, you've already made the money. What are you going to do? So Give like, it back to the guy? So like, yeah, it's really yeah. It is a really it's, inter- it's a really yeah. interesting quandary right now, and people could just go, oh, well, it's this one appearance. Yeah, all right. Yeah, go. yeah. But the thing is, you know, Pauline has been okay after twenty three years, and I think she gets paid for her Today Show appearances. Doesn't she? No, I'm not sure about that, but I, I, maybe she doesn't. But um, she she is now out there leveraging it, right? And she's claiming to all her supporters, I've been silenced by the, the mainstream media. Um, you know, they, they, they're silencing voices like yours. This is why you can't trust them. Um, and it, you know, in a, in, a, in a way it strengthens her hand. Um, so, you know, this is so a- it's a very Trump- Trumpian thing to do. <laughs> oh, man. You, you know, I this is, this is the thing, Adam, you would have – probably a better understanding of anyone, uh, better understanding almost of anyone that I've had on the show about a being a shoe leather crime journal. I know I've spoken to a couple of them and that death knock has come up on the show several times, but then having an international footprint and then also being in the press gallery in Canberra and then now being a press secretary in, 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 in politics, in progressive politics, because you're passionate about it. It's like watching, watching this moment accelerate to this point and then seeing how internationally, American politics is going to have an influence either positively or negatively from people like trying to capitalize on similar strategies or people like trying to squash that, that, you know, that, that ignorant voice that seems to sort of 
grab anger. It's just, it's not even objective anymore. It's not about a political difference. It's just about anger yeah. and distrust and fake news and all that nonsense. It's like, it's a really unique political moment right now. And you can, like you said, there's an opportunity, opportunistic politics out there that like try and play the same game, play, play the yeah. same game plan. And then there's others who are like, no, we're not going to allow this. We're not going to allow this game yeah. plan to happen yeah. in this country. Look I take some heart from the fact that, as you said, you know, Pauline Hanson has been around in politics for 25 years or something now. Um, she doesn't actually increase her vote, right? Like her vote is stuck at a, around 5 or 6% of the national vote each election. It, it, it doesn't deviate from that. Um, you know, it sort of waxes and wanes a bit in Queensland, in her heartland, but um, she hasn't managed to tap into the real centre or, or the mainstream, you know. Yes. It, 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 I think her... Her brand of politics has a gradually corrosive effect on our debate and, and the things that are normal and the things that are acceptable. Um, but I don't think she's a mainstream political force. And I don't think, in the, at least in the near term, that anyone like her will be a yeah. mainstream political force. Um, and, you know, Just take some... Just comfort the, from that. Just the makeup of our country, right? You know, there was a. You know, we recently had a census. I don't know how much international countries do their censuses, but that's every four years. And um, even some of the stats from our last census was like 40% of people who live in Australia, their parents weren't born here. Mm. So, you know, whether you're talking about, you know, all the way back to World War II, so like my grandparents, you know, came over from one half of my family were Maltese and came over in that post-war move. A lot of Greek people came over at that time, a lot of Italians. We had a big European sort of surge of folk at that time that came all around the country. And then you, you know, you get a whole bunch of a Lebanese population and Arabic population that came over, you know, during, um, you know, civil war that were happening over in those countries and then Sudanese folk. And it's just like, and then obviously, you know, we're in, we're in Asia. So there's a lot of Asian migrants that come over, whether it's Vietnamese, whether it's you know, Chinese, etc. And so it's like the makeup of our country doesn't feel like, like by hook or by crook is like, um, it doesn't feel like those, those things, uh, are going to, those voices are going to get any easier to go out there. They just seem a, even more to the fringe. You just feel like now's the time for those voices to be squashed and actually have some progressive, <laughs> rational yeah. conversation about multiculturalism in the country. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, you know, I think those populist voices, they don't just exploit race, right? They exploit all sorts of fears. Yes. And a lot of the migrant community um, is quite conservative, right? So, you know they are they are socially conservative. They might be against gay marriage, or they might be against you know some of those other progressive causes. Yes. Um, and so it's not quite as easy as saying migrant communities won't have truck with those sort of those sort of voices. Yes. You know, um, they do find ways to appeal to them as well. Um, but that that is part of the melting pot, right? You have you have all these you know different groups of people, different demographics. Um, you're trying to unite as many of them as possible around some sort of unifying paradigm or ideal or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's complicated. But but yeah, I think ultimately you're right that um, there's something about the Australian character, about our multicultural character, that isn't allowing those voices to take over the debate. You know, they're there, um, they're annoying. Um, I think they're given too much prominence um, by, you know, by the gatekeepers, by the people who should be holding them back. Yes. Um, but, yeah, like I say, I don't think they've – I don't think they're taking over anytime soon. Yeah, some talent bookers in Australia need to be fired. Um, you absolutely, know, they, absolutely. They, they, talk, they talk about it at, uh, you know, there's a sort of – 
um, I'm a big comedy fan, so I listen to lots of comedy programs, and they talk about the comedy mm. store in LA, and it was this legendary place where Mitzi Shaw, you know, oversaw people like Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence, all these people come to emergence, and then it sort of, you know, 80s and 90s went to hell, and they had really bad corrupt kind of talent bookers who had their own little cliques of people and let a lot of bad stuff go on and people didn't want to hang out there because it was kind of an awful scene. And then mm. another great person, you know, that person got kicked out and a new era of people came in and they started booking all this talent and people want to go back. And it's just like, that's, I think there's a lot of great progressive talented voices that are out there or just even diverse voices that are out there that are like waiting in the wings. But in the past, they're like, well, if I'm always getting overlooked by this person, why do I want to go on this show? Or I'm going to be a, just a talking head to an ignorant other, other box, you know? Um, I don't want to have that dialogue. Let's jump out of Australian politics for a moment. Yeah. I want to get back to the most fascinating and inflammatory re revelation of this podcast so far. What made you so desperate to have this movie in 2003 in Bathurst, <laughs> a video easy that you kept your copy. I want to, I want to know all about it. I want to know what, so I'm assuming, was that where you were from? You were originally from Bathurst or you were unioning out there? Cause there's usually a huge university population in Bathurst, which is a big rural town in New South yeah. Wales in Australia. So I'm from Orange, which is nearby, similar yes. neck of the woods, yes. kind of country, New South Wales. Um, as soon as high school finished, I buggered off to, to, uh, Bathurst to study journalism. Um, so I yeah, started in 2002, I think. Um, I uh, I really wanted to see the movie, but I didn't have any money. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so actually, an even more interesting wrinkle to this is my former roommate. How I stole it was basically my former roommate had moved out and he'd left some of his junk lying in the house. He'd moved back to Sydney or wherever he was from and he'd left some of his stuff, including his video easy card. So I basically just used his video easy card <laughs> to take out a bunch of DVDs, including all the president's men. Um, and I just held on to them. Um, now I'm pretty sure he would have got chased by debt collectors or, or whatever. Um, but that was the last I ever heard of it. Um, but the interesting thing is that that roommate now works for prime minister Scott Morrison. Oh my God. Um, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, um, I've still got the DVD. As I, I was just telling you before the podcast, um, I've, I've recently moved house, so they're in boxes somewhere, but I've certainly still got it, um, and I break it out every now and then. But, um, yeah, I guess back in 2003, you know, I was a 19-year-old. Um, passionate passionate journalism student. Exactly, yeah. Um, you know, I was pretty sure I was going to be the next Woodward or Bernstein <laughs> and uh, was trying to see how it's done. Uh, you know, it's just a... It's a rite of passage for every journalism student, I think, to, to see the film and read the book and read the history. Yeah, I think I think that you're, you and I were at uni around the same time doing completely different subjects. And I think that, like, of our generation and before, it is absolutely the quintessential journalism film. And I think if you just take mm. it even five or six years after, you get to the Shattered Glass era. And I feel mm. like then some people go, it's the Shattered Glass, the insider era, because it's like yep. the emergence of sort of corporate – journalism entities, you know, big conglomerates that own journalism companies or whatever the case may be, um, you know, whether it's papers or television shows or whatever the case may be. Um, so they own all these things. And so some of the journal journalists I've spoken to are like still currently working, but probably were just like one or two years after you and I, they're like, nah, Shattered, Shattered Glass was my form of formative thing or, or the insider was my formative thing. And then even later, there's like a spot, like a really late, it's like, oh, spotlight's my thing. Like spotlight's the yeah. one. And or, so or season five of the wire season five, well. season five of the wire. Yeah. Absolutely. Directed. Yep. 
directed by season five of the wire is directed by the star journalist the crooked journalist um tom mccarthy directs uh spotlight so you know a a nice little connection there but yeah season Mm. five of the wire those sorts of things and then you can even you know branch off but season five of the wire does um what kind of spotlight is doing as well is it's right on the cusp of what we now know as like contemporary journalism spaces. You know, it's, you know, there's still papers being printed. There's still hard deadlines for print, but there's so much more of this online like prominence and prescience of journalists, you know, that have to deal with now, you know, so even my friend Maria Lewis, who's been on the show a couple of times, she talks about, you know, starting out at the Gold Coast Bulletin and was writing some of their first blogs for the Gold Coast Bulletin in Queensland. So um, that's like circa, you know, the time that, you're at uni as well, like 2003-ish is like the first kind of blog start to appear for mainstream papers. But um, yeah, I think it is a Rite of Passage movie. I think you have to watch it. How often have you revisited it? Is it a, one that you come back to? Um, to be honest, when I watched it for the for prep for this podcast, it was probably been about 10 years since I watched it. Um, I would have watched it, uh, I don't know, eight or nine times back in the day. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a fairly constant, constant thing. Um I used to watch it with my journalism school buddies, you know, <laughs> um, where our dreams of grandeur. Um, but yeah, no, it, it has been a while. And it, it, it was actually, it was really refreshing because a lot of those more modern takes on newsrooms um, that you mentioned there, whether it's season five of The Wire or Shattered Glass, um, are pretty damn depressing. Yes. You know, it's, you know, and like, like season five of The Wire, the first scene I think in the newsroom is, one of the seasoned correspondents taking a redundancy, right, as they downsize their newsroom, just yes. kind of setting the scene of um, of the, that de- the decline of that institution, which is what the wire is all about, right? The decline of American institutions, and that's that's the that's season five of the wire um, in a nutshell in terms of the newsroom. Um, it is kind of and and also you know that that strain of distrust against the media. Spotlight was maybe the, the recent exception. Um, but there are very few movies or TV shows now that, that show journalists in a, in a good light, in a heroic light, Yes. right? Um, it's mostly pretty murky moral territory and it's mostly talking about, you know, people having to make stuff up because they don't have the resources to actually go out and do journalism anymore or, you know, cutting yeah. corners. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, there, was it's a, there was a fun dialogue recently about The Wire... And someone was asking, you know, is is the wire copaganda? Because there's been a lot of mm, focus mm. on police, um, in, you know, uh, corruption in the police and violence in the police, and internationally definitely and locally too. And saying is the wire copaganda? And I think what was great is like David Simon and people that went, came to the defence is like this entire show is about the decay of American civilization and literally season by season takes on a new institution. What do you want to take on this year? Okay, cool. We're going to take on the, you know, the top levels of police and actually show how they, you know, everything that they have to do to do a rigorous investigation um, and do it right. We're also going to show them the lengths that they'll go to, to, um, sensationalize something to be corrupt to do the right thing and everything's muddied mm. and murky we're going to show mm. you how corrupt schools uh, and school institutions yeah. are we're going to take you through to local policing and we're going to definitely show you docs and unions how that can go as bad as it can get because again there's no money there's no attention there's no political power there you know people clutching mm. for these things that are all in their last gasp and uh yeah it's like you know I think I think it was quickly sort of denounced as um, no. This entire yeah. show is an examination of the decline of American civilization. Absolutely, and I think you know, uh, yeah, sure. Some of the main cop characters in the show are likable, sympathetic characters. 
still morally murky often, but they're likable, they're relatable. But the whole show is about even those good people butting up against the systemic problems yes. and that they can't overcome those barriers to do the right thing because it's just the system is fucked. And, and it drives them to do crazier and crazier mm. and mm. more violent and brutal shit like the, as, as it goes on, you know, as, as, as it goes yeah. on. But, yeah, no, I think it's just oh, – I'm always interested to see where you find it. I, Folks who know listening, like I, I – this is a movie and it, just by convenience, you know, you, now with video on demand, like I'm sitting in my office with you, I'm looking at my shelves, I can see things. But when you go into your video on demand thing, sometimes that like Netflix thing just scares me. There's just too many movies. It takes me too long to choose. So I'll occasionally jump onto my Apple TV and I just look and all the President's Men's at the top left. That's A. Mm. And, so, a. <laughs> and so I just, I, I put it on and if, you know, even if you just want to put something on the screen to um, distract you while, you know, tidying up or doing something or getting dinner ready or whatever, um, usually when my kids are in bed or, or, or have tied it off to bed or, or in their naps or whatnot. And uh, so you do that and it just, that's where it ensnared me. I just was so hypnotized by it. And you're right, it is a lionized portrayal of journalists, but I, I also just love I don't know. There's, it's such a city movie. It's such a Washington DC movie. You feel like you know yeah. the whole landscape of the place. You feel like the, the the walls are speaking to you, and just all the characters. And 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 at that time, that exactly like you said, being compelled to do the moral thing despite a political allegiance. Like and 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 that not being capitalized upon necessarily because you're like, no, we're going to do the right thing here. Nixon's not the right guy. If he's if he's if he's going down to the depths here and doing these nasty things. And you feel like Republicans are in agreement with that. They're in chorus with like, this is this guy is no good for us. Um, and, and we can find another candidate that is better where mm. in our contemporary time, it feels like no matter what Trump has done or no matter even some Australian politicians, no matter what their weird or backward opinions are on things, it's like mm. there's no there's nothing that that person could say, even if it's downright wrong or bad, that like seems... To, to change people's minds or even just like pause and reflect and go, okay, well, I don't agree with them on that. It's a yeah. harder conversation there's, to have. There's no line to cross now. It's just like the well, the line's been, <laughs> been been sort of swept away. Um, and, you know, this is this is the great failing and this is what the history books will show, right, is that um, one of the great guardrails of American democracy is the gatekeepers within the two major parties um, remaining responsible. And, and, and putting forward responsible candidates. Um, and uh, they just completely abrogated that duty in, in 2016, you know. Um, it looks like during the sort of the primary season that they would, that the party would, and there was a lot of talk about, there, were a lot, there was a lot written about that the party would, if it came to that crisis moment where Trump was going to be the candidate, they'd pull off some magical manoeuvre to stop it happening, right? Yes. Um, it didn't happen became the candidate. Maybe the Republicans thought they were going to lose anyway, so it didn't matter. Um, but the behaviour of Republicans since his election, with the you know very occasional exception, whether it's you know John McCain or Mitt Romney or someone who has spoken out against him, um, the entire party has just um, totally given up on right and wrong and morality and and country. Really, I mean, you know that what. Trump is doing to America, which is trashing its reputation, <laughs> trashing its institutions. Um, none of that is conservative. 
That's not. That's, 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 he's a radical president. He's not a conservative president, right? And they're just letting it happen. And it's just it's it's um, yeah. I, I think history will judge them very very unkindly. I wonder. I wonder. I, I love what you said there because it, it feels radical and it feels like it feels like the some of the energy of this movie is talking about how radical it is to overcome and to silence these mechanisms because like. The mechanisms of power, like the mechanisms of, you know, keeping things in check here. It's like the FBI knew there was nastiness and bad stuff going on in the CIA and they were all getting squashed. And at that time it like feels like that it took them a while to like these stories to break and then the pub, the public to know about it, that they just, you know, they click back into gear. But when you trash your, you know, you trash your local institutions, when you trash your, your, your judicial system, when you, tra- when you trash your intelligence agencies, it's like, at the end of this, if he doesn't get reelected, which you know by some crazy thing he absolutely could get reelected, but if he doesn't, what does a Republican candidate ever do again? Like I think that yeah, what, totally. I think it's like that whole thing of like you scorch the earth, you know, like you know some ra- rally car drivers drive their cars so hard, like we don't drive our cars that we drive to the supermarket in order to work every day like a rally car drives a car because when they do, they can blow the engine and then the car dies <laughs> and it's like. Yeah. The whole engine of what you guys have got here, without the candidate, it just like crashes and burns, and it also shows the whole flaws and the like blatant propaganda of all of the 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 news machine, the propagandistic sort of Fox News machine that surrounds around Republicans. Because no one's yeah. been objective, no one's been able to say anything. It's like so rare now. Like the other day, I think it was um, uh, Hannity uh, on Fox News actually admitted to, yeah, I'm happy to wear a mask cause I want baseball to come back. And it was like the first, everyone was like, look, even he said something that was against what the president said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah it's that's like, right. it's like, it's, these are the cracks. These are the things. And yeah, I think you're so right. It's like once you, if you, if you completely enslave yourself to that cult of personality, um, and even at this time, you know, Nixon himself had a cult of personality and a cult of you know, the, these folk who are doing all this nasty stuff around him um, and sort of cutting corners and doing all this political malfeasance. But it takes a long time to recover after that because just no one wants to hear from them again. Yeah. And it, I, I think it, it depends, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, it, it's hard to be confident of any electoral contest <laughs> nowadays after the last five years or so, right? Um, but, um, you know, I would... I think it's more likely at this stage, speaking right now, that Joe Biden wins this election. Yeah. Like I do. I just think he's he's I know the polls we distrust the polls now, but he is so far ahead and so clearly ahead in so many of the battlegrounds that, that Obama had that that Hillary lost to Trump. You've just got to think that, that there is a great sort of corrective moment about to happen. Now, obviously I'm not gonna count those chickens and and, and, and I think look, I no think it's gonna be the could. most chaotic no, I think it's going to be the most chaotic and brutal next four months as a, as a campaign that we've ever seen in history. Like Trump will pull out every stop. Um, I wouldn't put it past, you know, large-scale electoral fraud, um, uh, you know. Um, so who knows where it will go. But if, best-case scenario, Joe wins big, right, and it's taken as a, as a denouncement of, of Trumpism, that that Americans tried that experiment, they went for the outsider, it was a disaster, they rejected it, they don't want it anymore, maybe the Republican Party can return to some semblance of respectability. I don't know. But so much of their base now, the, the base that they have cultivated purposefully is beyond that, right? It, it is beyond he hasn't a done, mainstream candidate. He hasn't done anything that actually 
some of those people rightly were excited about, which is they were gonna he was gonna hold yeah. some you know he was gonna hold Wall Street to account on certain things, cancel you know certain um, strangleholds that they had on the economy, help to boost and bolster American production and things like that. And it's like none of yep. that has foundationally changed, even material change, even in the slightest. It was like um, there was consumer confidence, which then had low you know, low rates of uh, unemployment, et cetera. But like now, you know, um, the thing you have to correct, this is the thing that I think I, I constantly apologize to when I talk to American uh, guests on the show. I'm like, I'm really sorry to say this, but our country's response, even with a conservative leader, has been so refreshing because our, our country's response to the COVID-19 is like that, the prime minister who knowingly knows that he's not the expert is deferring what our action should be to experts like our chief medical officers who then say, this is what we should do. And then we do that. And now we, and places like New Zealand and places like Italy had it really bad, are all starting to open up. We have sports again and we can go to the shops and even Victoria, which is in a bit of strife at the moment and borders are about to close. Like again, they're taking the, they're taking really extreme, but you know, I think, right corrective actions that they need to to squash the virus and you know still maintain the protection of all of our people and yeah it's it's a it's it's a balmy yeah. time man and again we still have we still have plenty of our conspiracy theorists who are on reddit and on <laughs> you know 8chan or QAnon forums and like that has infected australia to an extent yes but as with you know as we were talking before about paul and hansen it is still Thankfully, on the fringes, um, and hopefully, hopefully it'll stay there. Um, uh, I was just, uh, just going to say, can they figure out what happened to Harold Holt? I mean, look, if Australian Eight Chan and Fourteen <laughs> really wants to do something, there's a conspiracy <laughs> for you. A prime minister goes for a yeah. swim and never returns. Where's the t- Where's the great TV series? I want that. Like you know, like let's talk about real conspiracies at those times. Um, well, oh, imagine if that happened now. Imagine if that happened oh in God. the age of Four Chan and oh Reddit. It would, you know. <laughs> If anyone who if uh, if anyone who listens to the show is 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 a four chan or Reddit warrior, hello, <laughs> thank you for listening. Uh, enjoy it. Um, uh, I hope you do. Uh, but no, there's you know I think there are some, you know that's that's the that's the fun. Um, I think that that's where people th- this this film talks about like it harnessed a conspiratorial energy and it still does mm. to a certain extent and it aflames mm. it. And, you know, a lot of us when we're sort of younger, whether we are pursuing journalism such as yourself or you're just interested, movies like this and JFK, they're gateways into that. And you can totally go down rabbit holes and, and look at all this stuff. But I think when you, the more that you can be objective about what the facts are, it's it's like, it's never one thing in its completion, because I think in all those conspiracy things, it feels like if it was a five paragraph, if it was a five paragraphs news story, it's like three paragraphs of fact, and then paragraphs four and five are off the reservation, and so you end up going like, well, some of this stuff makes sense, but yeah, but yeah. yeah, look, yeah, I don't think we've I don't think we've quite gotten to that, and I think I think it's also a bit of our national character, you know, having that, you know, that that being. Uh, largely a Commonwealth country and a bit of a no BS country. It feels like when anyone talks in that, you know, those flowery tones, that natural tall poppy, like we're going to cut you down. That's too, that's too filibuster. That's nonsense. It just goes out the window. It doesn't seem to have the same traction. I do have one friend. We have a a WhatsApp group um, with a bunch of sort of our school friends that we, we stay in touch. And one of them recently went down some kind of weird rabbit holes Uh um, talking about, you know, how, some light machine can cure coronavirus and stuff, um, which apparently is a thing. Um, but uh, watching the way 
uh, my other friend piled on him <laughs> and just said, mate, what are you doing? Wake up to yourself. This is not, we don't care for this. Uh, this so, is, you know. Don't make <laughs> us, we will curate this WhatsApp group and you'll be out. Exactly. exactly. I, I'll, I'll, share, um, I'll share with you here is um, uh, I, I also have like a friends, a big friends group, WhatsApp group. And um, at the beginning of it, I, I had a couple of my friends who work with the government and a couple of friends who, let me just say, are uh, delinquents um, <laughs> and who are also in the same WhatsApp group having arguments about the preliminary response in Australia to coronavirus. And I just went in there and I was watching this volley back and forth and I went, okay, guys, see ya. <laughs> I'm out. Yep. I'm out. Uh, this is uh, this is where Blake exits, and it's been real. It's been real, and I'll come back when you guys are done. Because I'm not. I I can't read this. I can't read this. Not like I can't read nonsense back and forth. And I think. And similarly, there was a pile on. And then one of my friends. This is the other typical sort of shit story Aussie thing to do. Is that one guy just kept baiting our one friend who just wouldn't let it go, like just going, oh, what about this and what about that? And he felt like it was just like prodding him. And we were texting him going, stop this. I don't want any <laughs> notifications on my phone from this stupidity. And he's laughing. Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah, look, I think I think that there is that if foundationally, fortunately, um, but also, you know, in the psyche of this country, we haven't had any of those huge, you know, we haven't had a JFK and we haven't had a Watergate necessarily. And we haven't had some of these other things that are, you know, that are foundational to the American psyche now. Like, and, you know, like all the presidents then, Watergate was a genuine conspiracy. Yes. Right? It was It was the powerful conspiring amongst each other um, to, to try and pull off something devious and dastardly. Conspiracies happen. The powerful do try to hold on to their power in devious ways, um, I, I think, unfortunately, America's just kind of taken the wrong lessons from Watergate, which were, was right, like that That ultimately those institutions worked and that those institutions are important and those institutions um, should be strengthened, not destroyed, that, that um, objective journalism should be supported and enabled, not, um, you know, discredited and, and uh, torn down. Um, because they are the ones that will expose the powerful's misdeeds, right? Um, so, and that's, you know, now like the, the media is still doing that work. The media is still exposing wrongdoing, but now people don't trust what they're reading. They don't hear it. It just becomes part of some big swirl of scandal and misinformation and propaganda and no one knows what to believe and everyone's got Facebook brain worms and it's just, it's a mess. You know, that institution doesn't work properly anymore. And what's so strange, Adam, you just put it so rightly, which is that, like, they're still doing it. Like, I've mentioned yeah. on the show a few times, like, um, uh, uh, Jody Cantor and Megan Twoey and, uh, mm. and uh, mm. uh, Ronan Farrow with Catch and Kill. Like, they, they are, like, as pure examples of, like, real rigorous investigative journalism going so hard in this country and, like, uh, sorry, in the international community and like really embracing movements. And, you know, there's mm -hmm. even um, Amber Schultz, um, who is going to be a guest on the show, like is, is part, currently part of a two for investigative journalistic team diving into everything um, uh, um, going on uh, around surrounding the Jeffrey Rush stories, which has been very fascinating mm -hmm. for Crikey. Um, and what's been really interesting is when you, when you look at it for some things, people are like, oh, that's amazing. 
you know, oh, that's, you know, that's incredible. And they just will take it. And even sometimes from the same institutions, like it's the same, like it's either the New York Times, it's like one week, the New York Times, great, yes. Bastion of objective, uh, of, of objective journalism, bastion of like, you know, this, the last gasp of like pure, like objective investigative journalism that can dedicate months of your lives and witnesses and, you know, bulletproof um, legal arguments to have all of your eyes dotted and T's crossed. And then the next minute they report on something that is like in the president's speech of today, 90 factual inaccuracies were said and like, no, yeah, oh, look at yeah. the times. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you mean? That was the same paper that just said this. I mean, the difference, I guess, is that Harvey Weinstein's not a partisan figure, right? <laughs> yes. Okay, yes. so he's not—he's not a political figure, and that's—that's that's what's gone wrong, I think, in American society is hyper-partisanship took over to the point where it's party above country, yes. um, it's party above truth, it's party above objectivity, um, and in, in America's case right now, it's personality above you know, those things. Um, and look, you know, personally, I. You know, I've never lived in America, but I, I watch it closely. Personally, I blame Fox News. I mean, it, it is it was the catalyst. It it both tapped into something, but it also perpetuated something, which is this just blind hyperpartisanship that that has doesn't care about double standards. It doesn't care about. It's just shameless. It is so shameless, and a whole generation of conservatives got inculcated into that. Um, and it's just, I don't know how you undo that. I don't, I don't know if you can. And, and I think that also like even, you know, the, the sky news equivalent in Australia right now, mm. which is a te- he's just basically purporting to be Australia's equivalent to Fox news, hasn't quite mm. got, gotten the same stranglehold and also gets heavily no. criticized because for the same times that they're on there, they do have some, you know, quite good objective journalists who've been mm. in other publications and stuff like that will come on there and, and do some of their stuff. And then they've got these individual, you know, individual programs that are sort of cults of personality that kind of people can tap into and give a platform to just nonsensical like mm. blathering and i think that that's mm. the the 24-hour news cycle mixed in with fox news is is a potent cocktail because yeah as you said like we in this country haven't constantly had the battle of what the factual battleground is yes some of mm. our media companies like purport whatever you know just sort of toe the government line to the largest extent which is a challenge in and of itself um yep. but but i i think that there hasn't been an alternative. I, I, there doesn't need to be, sometimes with a fact, there doesn't need to be an alternative. It just mm. needs to be, that's what the fact is. And like, a, yeah. there can't even, there can't be an agreement. Like you said, the, there's no line, the line's been blown away. And I think that this shoe leather journalism and trying to hear right now in this moment, for some of these folks, it's unconscionable, even in the age that it was, it's unconscionable that government power is doing weird stuff, you know, and, and mm. in a post JF, you know, the context of this movie we haven't really spoken about, but like in the context of this movie in a post JFK world, you understand now that some of these people might've already had it in their gut that, Oh, powerful forces mm. can, can disrupt the country. <laughs> you know, a president mm. was killed and mm. that then led into like a, a whole lot of political uncertainty, civil rights movement, et cetera. Nixon comes in, there's wars, there's all those sorts of things. But you know that in the back of their mind when this happens, it's like it's not an outlandish thing to think of that there's conspiratorial forces at work. Um, Mm. And so I think we've been quite lucky in Oz that we haven't had to, we haven't had that go wrong because it feels like the smaller community seems that things just come out way faster. (laughs) They they seem to be exposed uh, with greater speed. 
And look, we've, I mean, we have you know garden variety kind of corruption on a regular basis, and we have politicians on on all sides who think they're really hot shit and think that they're sort of much more powerful and influential they are, and they go around swinging their big dicks and thinking <laughs> they're great, um, and they usually come unstuck. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there hasn't been any kind of that we know of uh, any kind of. Brand don't start that. Don't start of- that out. <laughs> I just felt a WhatsApp start beeping in your pocket. Yeah, that's it. It's not lighting up. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's thankfully we haven't we haven't had those kind of searing experiences that have kind of changed the Australian psyche in that way. Mm. Um, um, you know, I do fear kind of the contaminant from from the United States, and I think um, I think Facebook is just an extremely irresponsible actor that that allows all this bullshit to, to um, you know, seep through every aspect of our society. Um, and so I worry about that, but yeah, bloody hell, I'd, li- I'd rather be here than in the United States. That's for damn sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a harsh thing that I say to folks, you know, a lot of being, being, doing this show and being so close to so many of my American friends and, and folk who are supportive of the show, um, who are going through everything that they're going through over there and all I can like shout out his empathy and all I can say is that there's a spare room at my place if you ever, if you're listening yeah. if, you ever get, if you can ever get to us again but yeah you know yeah. like you know you look at some of the countries that have had the right reactions to this sort of thing and and haven't turned a virus into a partisan thing and and mm. done that and you know where you know people are like I don't know if I'll ever go to a movie again you know these movie loving folk who love this show and listen mm. and stuff like that like, I don't know if I'm going to go to a movie in 2020 and I'm like I'm going next Friday I'm going, I'm going, I'm going in Oz because you know this is this is what's happening. So, look, it's a fa- yeah, it's yeah. a fa- it's a fascinating thing. It and and yeah, you do feel like there's still, like you said, even if it was a course correction with a Biden figure, there's still a significant amount of work that that entire country needs to do to kind of get itself yeah. back on the right track. Indeed, yeah. Look, mate, this has been a really great convo. Um, I, I want to mm. say thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thank you so much for sort of giving some insight of what it's like to be on both sides of this thing and uh and especially it's so fascinating to hear about other countries you know especially in the western world um uh, broadly in the western world looking over at america and seeing that that drums up the concerns and the, and i think the comparison and contrast should be really fascinating for folks listening so mate, i just want to say a huge thank you and uh and uh best of luck with your new place and best of, luck with your you, WhatsApp, yeah. best of luck with your WhatsApp conspiracies <laughs> and your friends and uh, hopefully none of them uh, uh, set a blaze in your pocket um, after they get to listen to this show. Thanks, mate. Good to be here. Thank you very much to Mr. Adam Gartrell. Adam, you can find on Twitter at, at Adam Gartrell um, and, uh, and at a press secretary conference near you i guess in canberra adam thank you so much for the great convo mate um real great insights coming from on the ground in aussie journalism and just his opinions on you know those aspirational qualities of politics trying to make change uh out there to make positive change for the community thank you so much for being a part of the show guys thank you so much for listening it's a banger of a week we've got lots of great episodes um and this is now the third of five episodes that are coming this week and we've got an even more impressive lineup if that is even possible coming at you uh before you know it thank you so much for listening to the show please subscribe rate review this bad boy it really really helps thank you so much for listening to the show we'll catch you another episode of all the president's minutes tomorrow